Hello there, gorgeous people. Gorgeous? Lovely. Ah, gorgeous. Let's go with gorgeous. Um, it's me, Stuart Bell, and welcome to another episode of The Finnovator. And in this episode, I wanted to share uh, a interview, a recording, a session I ran with a gentleman called Michael Laws of Affinia, where we talked about uh, basically building sustainable service offers. Now, this uh, episode is probably about a year and a half old, but my relationship went, uh, with Michael has gone back quite a way. Uh, Michael is uh, one of the head of business coaching, I believe is uh, his title. But look, even if it's not his title, that's that's his passion. That's what he does over at Affinia. Um, I have a bit of a, I guess, a, a conflict to, to sort of disclose when it comes to Affinia. Uh, my wife, Rachel, is one of the business coaches over there. So I, I get to know a lot about what they do and how they do it. But the truth is that I was sort of very uh, familiar with what they did long before that. Uh, Michael has been... One of those people uh, in the industry who uh, we've always chatted, we've always batted back ideas, uh, we've talked a lot about our, our, our mutual passion for, for growing businesses. Uh, one of my favorite conferences I ever got the opportunity to do was when I was invited to come over to South Africa with Affinia and speak uh, at their conference. It ended up, I think I started off doing one session and then uh, I got the opportunity in the end to do three. Uh, which ended up becoming a bit of a festival of stew. It was good for me. I enjoyed it. Um, not to mention, I got to go to South Africa, which is always really good. Um, in this session, uh, Michael and I sort of indulged our, our mutual passion, and we dived in, and we wanted to talk about everything to do with service offers, and in particular, uh, what it takes to make a, an offer that is sustainable in terms of the value delivery proposition, uh, how to deliver it from an efficiency point of view. Uh, we talked about fair value. We talked about um, user pays models and all that sort of stuff. In other words, it was a, a really, really good overview of a lot of the content we do on our program about making sure that when you put together a service offer, it meets the compliance requirements, it meets the value delivery requirements, and equally importantly, you can uh, deliver it as, equal, as well for one client as you can for 100 clients. In other words, the efficiency piece. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and I hope you like what Michael's got to say. Um, there is a lot of movement going on now in the industry of people from licensee to licensee. Uh, and there are many, many people out there that I think uh, really do it very well. Uh, Michael is one of them. So if you are you know, looking at uh, changing licensee and you've only got a few options on your plate, I'd really strongly suggest going out there and looking at offers like, like Affinia because, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for them, obviously. I've got a, a, a close affinity with them for various different races that's a that's a pun never mind um but anyway i'm gonna hand it over now to michael and i i hope you enjoy this episode of the finnovator the sustainable service offer let's dive in shall we um today i really wanted to walk you through a really fresh piece of content from the program and uh we're going to be doing two but this is the first of two and i think it's super topical michael you and i sat down when we were trying to work out what we're going to say and what we're going to talk about and this was something that came up as as as, as just a, a big burning issue in the industry right now is that would you say that's about right oh 100 and i think you know the underlying tone to this presentation is of, of the sustainable service model is all around adding value um, yes. There's a lot of talk internally within the licensee and obviously within the industry around how we can add more value and continue to add more value. So I think it's a very timely uh, conversation. Love it. So let's just dive in because you've got so much to get through. I'm going to try and give you as much as I possibly can uh, in the time we've allotted. Um, and at the end, look, if, if, if we get to a point where you, you, need, uh, you need more or you want to know uh, where to go to to get additional stuff, I'm going to share that as well. And by the way, if you stick around to the end, uh, I've got a bit of a special sort of offer that I'd like to put out, particularly 
for, well, actually only for affinity practices. Goes without saying, um, there's kind of two ways you can, you can do these kind of webinars. And don't get me wrong, I often fall into the trap of sitting on, on, uh, on my computer and trying to kind of listen and take stuff in, which is fine. But um, if you want to get sort of the most out of it and you want to really focus down, the whole thing about multitasking, it, it's just, it's been disproven to be, it just doesn't exist. So if you, uh, if you really want to get it in and you want to sort of take this stuff away, uh, my suggestion would be just turn off the notifications and, and, uh, and grab some notes and really come out of it with some actions. In case we haven't met, uh, my name's Stuart. Um, I've been coaching for about, well, 17 years now. Uh, started in corporate uh, and in about 2009 had this, sort of realization that I, I didn't want to do it in corporate anymore. That led to a, a trip around the world uh, and came back and decided, you know what, if I wanted to do it in the independent space. Since then, uh, it's been a hell of a journey. Um, one of the things that along the way that really sort of impacted me is I, I, I started, uh, uh, started getting involved in the Tech Sydney, the startup incubator, working with tech startup businesses. And that led me to, to realize that some of the techniques that are used to start uh, tech businesses could be applied to advice businesses to get really good results, which led to writing a book, uh, which led to starting a program and a various different things, working with you guys through various different things, which is how we first connected, I think, Michael. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've a few of the AFA sessions and then the conference. That's right. Yeah. And um, basically what I do is based around sort of three areas that I work with businesses on. I work with them on helping them attract new clients into the firm through uh, taking manual prospecting to kind of more digitized models. I work with them on how to engage new clients by on a project basis. We do a lot, a lot of work on onboarding. I also do a lot of work with business on how to service their existing clients, both their offer, their pricing, their experience, as well as uh, resourcing in terms of, you know, your team got behind you, the systems and the productivity. And over the past four years, I, uh, the, you know, I've, I've built around, well, coming up to a hundred modules all across those various different things. And, Michael, I want to ask you, because we're going to sort of, uh, we're going to back and forward on this, um, but what, what encouraged you, what brought you here? Why, why did you sort of uh, allow me to run this webinar with you? Yeah, thanks, mate. Well, I think firstly, um, having you know, got to know you over the last couple of years, uh, you know, as a licensee, we certainly recognise the tremendous value that you can provide to advisors. And we've got a few uh, advisors actually that do participate in your programs and that, that have yeah. in the past as well. And, and it all have had tremendous feedback. So I think anything that we can do uh, to engage and add uh, more value back to our network, um, we certainly want to jump in and do that. So I guess that's the first part, why, we, uh, why we've engaged with yourself to run these as opposed to any other consultant uh, for these types of sessions. Um, but when I looked at the topics and we were talking before just around value, and I think value comes down to a whole range of things and, you know, importantly, the client experience. There's a... Um, an unbelievable quote I heard from Joe Duran from United Capital in the States. And for those of you that follow the news, you would have seen that I've quoted Joe a few times at PD days, but he just recently sold his business for $750 million. Um, That's a hell of a, hell of a sale. Uh, six weeks over in the States. So he had a phenomenal advice business. And it's, it's one that I think, you know, if you want to, if you want to understand great processes and offers, look at, look at United Capital, but his quote was that 100% of your future profitability is going to come down to your client experience. And mm -hmm. in the age where we're competing, uh, there's so much fee pressure, there's a lot of competition, there's uh, competition with technology, not just other advisors. It's how do we enhance that client experience? How do we um, bring more value back to our clients? And I think looking at the content of, you know, this sustainable service model, um, certainly going to get that conversation flowing and, and start generating a few ideas. So I think it's really important 
uh, for everyone to, to really start considering. I know everyone does add a lot of value to their clients, but every yeah. day is a school day. We can always learn more. Um, so how do we, how do we keep enhancing and, and improving our offering? Man, I love that. And I think you're right. It's like I'm, everyone delivers value to the clients and, I, and, and I'm much more than I think most people realize. But I think the key thing is having a business that means it's not going to always be the pressure on you. And equally as important, it makes your clients know the value of what that is. Because I think those two things together, if you can deliver and they know that they, you know, what, why they need you, that for me is the point at which you, you've got a business up on the jaw. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and look, it doesn't have to be a fundamental shift. You know, you, you might not get anything out of this session and every session you attend on these topics that is fundamentally going to change your business. But mm. let's just start thinking about, you know, the one percenters. Um, what can we do just to improve our business? Maybe it's going to improve your spiel. It's going to improve the way you uh, have a conversation or you attract clients uh, by 1%. And then if we start thinking about that aggregation of marginal gains, what do those 1% improvements do? Over a long period of time, uh, it's going to help deliver you a, a far more successful business if if you follow that sort of um, that mandate of just continual improvement. Perfect. Now, Chris, dude, Chris, Chris Reed, thank you so much for join, jumping in. That's exactly what I'd love some feedback. I have a very much an above average need for feedback. It's just who I am. Uh, he says he's really interested in ideas for change that is required in the way we engage with an ongoing service model to keep clients engaged. Uh, I'm going to do my best to get, share with you today a model from a great book called Hooked, which talks about how Silicon Valley think about habit-forming products. And I think if you, you know, if, we, if, if you just get your head around what it takes to get people engaged in something year after year after year, that'll be really useful. Guys, um, I just want to sort of start by giving you, I'm sure everybody has their own experience of what's going on, uh, but I wanted to share sort of working with a number of different businesses. And Michael, we've spoken about this before we start about why what we're talking about now really matters. And I think for a while I've, I've been talking to people about what I call the wave, which is I, I, was, I was a terrible surfer back in the day. I'm so terrible I gave it up. I literally went through a sequence of boards, increasingly large. But I used to talk about the fact that um, the best surfers could spot the wave before it even, even started to form. The, the sort of medium surfers spotted it as it was there and they had to paddle a bit harder, but they got up. And the poor surfers like me, didn't even spot the wave until it was crashing over them. And I've been talking for a while about the fact that there has been a wave of change building. Some of it's been led by clients. Some of it's been you know, led by uh, the regulators. Some of it, frankly, has just been led by advisors who decided they wanted to move in a certain direction. But I think right here and now that the wave is, is happening. And for those of you that have worked really hard over the last three years and maybe made some tough decisions about your revenue, about the clients, about who you can manage, you will know that your hard work is now going to come to fruition. For some of you who are on the path, you, you've got some work to do, but you're going to make it. And I think the key thing is there's a whole bunch of businesses out there that won't make it. They don't even know it. But now is the time because if you can get ahead of this wave, you're going to ride a, uh, a wave that's going to open up a competitive advantage between you know, these new type of businesses that I think is going to shape the next decade. Michael, what's your, do you have a view on this? Oh, mate, definitely. I think... We all 100% agree that change is here and I'm sure we've all been to a number of PD days where we've heard about, you know, the Kodak moment and, you know, the, the number of businesses yeah. that um, are in the business graveyard because they haven't adapted to change. Yeah. Um, and there are certainly strong headwinds coming from a lot of different areas. So um, from the threat of competition, um, but also, you know, if we look at, um, you know, what's being legislated as well. So a lot of legislative change, uh, competition that's coming through as well. So. Uh, there's change on every front. Um, I think we're aware that we, we do need to keep on our toes to continually adapt and, and stay somewhat ahead of the curve uh, if possible. 
So the shift for me is this, I mean, over the last 20 or 40 years, there's been a paradigm, you know, from offering products uh, to move to uh, offering products and services. And then it kind of went to relationship and brand. And I think where we're at now is we're at this space of client centricity. Now, I'm not talking about client centricity of, you know, uh, yeah, we put the clients at the center of everything. I'm talking about the client of client centricity that Silicon Valley has kind of uh, uh, pioneered, well, not b- but focused on, which is what's the problem we're trying to solve and then build a business around that problem as opposed to create a, a product and then go out and sort of madman style market it. And it's this shift, I think, that has, has really put the, I guess, the power in the, in the hands of you because you've got the relationship with the client. At the same time, you've got this problem where client expectations have grown. Um, you know, people expect more transparency. They expect more communication. They expect more for their money. You know, do you, you would remember the Nokia, what was it, 3310, Michael? Maybe not. You're a bit younger than me. Um, no, uh, what did I have? Started I just, to say, what the old, uh, the old big brick? Yeah, well, I had a, I had a Nokia 3310, I had a 6610 with the GPS that took about half an hour to find its location. But the Nokia 3310, like literally, you could put a different color on it. And that was it. That was personalization. 16 text messages. But now we kind of expect every, we expect our own apps. We expect our own pictures. Personalization has just become the norm. And as a result, you know, if you can't offer something uh, that's personalized, then clients can't move away from it. Now, a lot of you do do the personal side of things, but I guess the challenge is how to do it at scale. You know what I mean? The other one is um, there's a lot of scrutiny. There's scrutiny from the regulator. There's scrutiny from clients. I mean, Michael, you would have seen it in a number of different businesses. Where do you see the real lens being put on service models when it comes to advice firms? Oh, look, the, the big one that we've got at the moment is uh, around the fair value of advice and in terms of the, um, the advice fees that are being charged. So yeah. uh, we've obviously seen what's been going on with a lot of the bank line groups with the fee for no advice uh, investigations that have been going on and that have been exposed from the Royal Commission. Uh, and again, I think it all comes back to, to providing value. It's if you, if you say you're going to provide a certain amount of value, then you need to deliver on that promise. Uh, yeah. If you do, essentially everyone's okay, but that's probably where a few advisors have come unstuck in the past around the industry. And we're going to talk about that today. We talk about this fair value thing because the real thing that, that I don't want anyone to be stuck in is ultimately getting what you do judged by hourly rates because that's, we're going to understand a lot of people who are in ASIC, I'm not trying to bag them, but they come from a legal background. And the way that legal advice is provided and the framework is very different. So we're going to talk a bit about that value thing, but you totally agree. The other thing is, I mean, I, I don't think it would come as a surprise that I'm finding more and more businesses are challenged time-wise. They're, they're squeezed, if that makes sense. And that's a real challenge because if, uh, if you don't have time to get this stuff done, it's really hard to make progress. If we look at the landscape as well, I mean, looking outside of just the shift that's happened, I mean, we've had this, uh, every time where I turn, there is talk about, you know, advisors are leaving, a certain number of fascia education requirements. There is gen- genuinely a view in most cases that there's going to be a reduction in the number of planners. I'm going to ask you, actually, I'd love everyone to open that chat box, get your fingers warm and let me know on a percentage scale. And we're going to do a bit of a straw poll here. What percentage of advisors who are currently in the industry do you believe are going to leave in the next three to, let's say three years? Ben says 30%. That's interesting. Come on, keep it coming. Stuart, great name, by the way, 35%. Chris, 40. Kareen, 415, 40 for Raphael, 40, 30, 30, 40, 40. Interesting. We've got a 50 from Rachel, Lachlan, Liam, 20, uh, Lachlan, 35. That's no percentage, but older advisors, says Sandra. So if, what's your view, Michael? 
Look, it's uh, it's almost impossible to put a, an exact figure on it, but I think anywhere from 30 to 50 over the next five years be realistic. I think when we look at the complexity of the draft fascia exam, I think that's probably a, a potentially a lot more difficult than what some people were anticipating. So okay. certainly we encourage everyone as a side note to jump on the fascia website and have a look and start playing around with that and get involved with all the sessions that we're running and product providers are running. But then on top of that, the big decision is around how much time and effort are you willing to put into obtaining the gradual diploma if that's something that you need to do. So we most advisors will need to do between three and eight subjects of the grad dip. Yep. Um, and that can be a challenge. So your headwinds in front of us. So every, I've been asking this as a straw poll. We did it at our two-day accelerator workshop. We did a bit of a, a question. I've been asking pretty much everybody. And, and the, the answer that I'm getting is somewhere between 20 to 30. But I've noticed here that the number's a bit higher, which is really interesting. Some people are... 50 to 60. Uh, Rhett Das, who was a speaker at our last workshop, he said 60. But I think there's a general view that we're, we're going to lose a significant number of advisors. Uh, the question, I mean, Sandra, really good point, as to whether these are people who are naturally going to leave the industry. But my real concern is that potentially some of these may be some of our best advisors because on the other side of this, if we look at the UK, we know that, well, firstly, we know that the demand for advice is growing. But we also know that we take the UK example. I think uh, Simon... Johnson, who is one of our program members, sat up, stood up and talked about his experience of, of the UK when they implemented something similar, whereby um, essentially, I think he was talking about, uh, there's a town in the west of England called Gloucester. They had eight advisors and now they've got two and both of those advisors had to increase their fees and also they are, they've got more than enough work. So I understand that whether by design or, or by accident, the demand for advice, both naturally and organically, but because there are less people around, is going to grow. And that presents an opportunity, but you have to get the business model right, yeah? Uh, the other piece is obviously the annual renewal. Whatever form it takes, it's, it's happening. Uh, the need to sit down and have that conversation with clients. And nearly there's best interest being applied to, um, you know, service models, which is a hugely part. You know, that question about why are you recommending this service package why are you charging them that much money instead of this? This is, this is going to come up increasingly over the next 12 months. Have I missed out anything, Michael, that you see as kind of a, a, something to be aware of in the landscape? Uh, mate, I think you've nailed it, to be honest. I think you're right on the money. Um, so when it comes to some of these things in terms of best interest and, and whatnot, um, obviously at Affinia we have the um, materially and measurably positive position. So I think if you're adding value, you're putting your client in a – materially and measurably positive position, then you know, for us, we, you know, I think that as a general rule of thumb, you're going to be quite okay on that front. But um, yeah, certainly um, Best Interest Duty has been around for a while now. So I think everyone should be well-versed in those requirements, but it's making sure that we're continuing to deliver on those best interests of the client um, and keep evolving that offer on an ongoing basis is the big challenge. I think there's huge opportunity. It's interesting a lot of advisors, despite the fact that, that I speak to, they're like, you know, this is tough. But there's a significant amount of them who say, I actually think this is the, a huge opportunity. Um, what lies on the other side of this is, you know, really exciting if we can get through it. I kind of look at it as there's a, there's a kind of a changing paradigm, which is if you can move your business from it being about you or the advice, yes, says Corinne, yes, says Angelo, and be about the system, people buy systems. When you say, I've got a system that will help you create financial freedom in 30 years, I've got a system that if applied to your cash flow situation, is going to help you save 20 to 30% of your uh, salary. Uh, I've got a system that will help you provide the best possible care for your parents and for yourself in old age. It's, much, it's a much stronger proposition moving forward than I'm an expert at this and I can do it for you. Does that make sense? 
in addition, I mean, this is, this is, you would have seen this before, Michael, have you? Yep. Do you want to talk to this one a bit? What, what does this, what does this particular study say to you? Um, I think what this really means is that the value for clients is not necessarily um, purely focused around the numbers, uh, but what is more important to clients is the ability to achieve their goals and lifestyle objectives and some of the more softer uh, type values that are, that are important to them. Whereas probably traditionally in the past, um, referring back to those slides you had around the evolution of advice, I think yeah. on the wealth side of things, I think uh, um, if you go back 20 plus years, you know, the, the main value add for an advisor back then was the provider of information where clients probably couldn't even access a lot of the data around what was going on in their super fund and their platforms and had to go to the advisor for that. And then that evolved into them interpreting the information. But now clients have all that information at their fingertips. Yeah. It's really how do we evolve that offering um, to be more around, yeah, lot, potentially even lifestyle coaching, just a goal attainability, um, helping them achieve their personal goals, the money coaching aspects, and just yeah. a few of the other non sort of core financial or traditionally financial objectives. It's like the whole thing with fitness. You can wear one of those, you know, things that goes around you and tells you your heart rate and it will give you the feedback, but then you'll have your coach who's training you or, or you he'll, and they'll look at you and go, you can go harder or you know what you should ease off now. And I think sometimes I, I have a lot of conversation with advisors about what software should I use to do this or do that. And sometimes I say, you've got to step back from the, the, the software and kind of just, just go a bit, go a bit analog and help clients understand it without necessarily having to boot up a, a spreadsheet or whatnot. I think that's, that's hugely valuable. I think um, a lot of people underestimate the power of you as the advisor going, you're exactly where you need to be. And that's fine. Yeah. This is another one I, I really like. And you mentioned, Michael, that you love, you really like this study. Yeah, look, I, like, I really like Vanguard and, and most of the things that they do. Um, and they've got some really good um, sort of asset allocation workshops and, and whatnot that I'd encourage everyone to have a look at. But uh, whether it's the uh, Vanguard Alpha study or there's, I think, the Morningstar Gamma study, um, talks about the value and the potential value of a financial advisor and the, and the potential value, I think, um, really from looking at all these sort of areas um, around asset allocation, implementation, and rebalancing, all that sort of stuff, yep. is around 3%. Morningstar have about 1.3, but there's also a lot of additional value that might be able to be found in these non-core financial planning aspects as well. But if you look at that number one, that number one uh, value add there is the behavioral yep. coaching aspect, which is 150 bips, um, which is about half the value uh, of what a financial planner can provide. So. I think that's where we need to spend a lot of the focus if we're not if we're not already. Yeah, it's that one there. It's like I really like that the fact that you, as an advisor, having a model that enables you to stop people from doing stupid things and help them do smart things and help them look at their own money patterns and behaviours and, and reset them. And that's that to me is something that's very much worth paying for. In the same way that you know, personal training wasn't pretty wasn't that common uh, twenty years ago. It was something that was done with rich people. There was a a guy at the edge of the tennis club and look at it now. So I think there's a huge opportunity. I think the opportunity particularly now is to kind of step into what's going on. In other words, to get to a place where you can convince clients that they need help because God, people have money issues. This is, we can't look at ourselves as, as a society and say, you know what, we're all really good with money. Generally, most people are pretty bad with it. Um, the second opportunity is to get commitment, commitment from your clients to work with you the way that you know you need to work with them to help them. And that's less about a service model. It's more about an agreed program over time. And I think to be quite honest, there is going to have to be an element and it's an opportunity of, uh, you know, renewing the relationship with certain clients 
you know, that was the way we used to work and this is the way we're going to work moving forward and there may be a fee change and frankly, replace some of the relationships. Um, I'm going to share a, uh, a case study with a client of mine, James. And it's interesting, James went through and segmented all his clients uh, as love, like, and indifferent. Um, and essentially, he, he, his goal is to make sure that most of his clients, if not all of them, fall into those top 10 categories. And I think there's certain clients who aren't working with you the way that you want them to, and certain clients who you're just not gelling with, there is, there is an opportunity to turn around and say, look, I, I can't just have you passively working with me anymore. I need you to step into this with me. What's your thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know if you got it off the top of your head, but what the um, what the percentages were within each of those three buckets. Um, uh, I, think, I do actually. <laughs> I think it's um, it's interesting. I really like the way that you're positioning um, the need to have a system and a process. So not necessarily adapting your process and your model to each individual client that comes through, but if you develop your value proposition in a particular way, you'll attract the right type of client into your business. That um, that wants to be a part of that system and, and that um, sort of that, that model um, that, that you currently offer. So I think, yeah, going through that exercise of, of rebalancing your existing client base, um, yeah. probably not, not easy. I'd imagine that's, there's a few difficult conversations there, but perhaps a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain, which is not, it's always not hard in this environment when we're currently under a lot of fee pressure as it is and reducing commissions and the like. So yep. uh, interesting analysis to do the numbers before doing that, I'd say. His was 41, 27, and then the rest were indifferent. And there's actually a couple who were trouble clients, but it was pretty good, but he said he wanted to go up to 70 or 80% uh, more than that. So I think 80, 90. So uh, the key insight I'm going to do is we're going to focus on this, we're gonna, but we're going to look at this piece. So let me tell you the, the case study. This is James. James is actually, he was the first consulting client I took on board when I, when I, when I came out as an independent client. We've been working together for, I think, eight years. Uh, which is an absolute record. We have a pretty long tenure on the program as it is. Most of our clients stick with us for about two to two and a half years, which is incredibly unusual in the coaching world. Um, but James and I have been working together for eight years. Uh, um, I've seen him. He's, he's had kids. I've had kids. We've worked together. But recently, about what was it about nine months ago in September, we did the numbers and we analyzed it and we, we sort of looked at what was coming down the pike with the change. And we said, what are we going to do about uh, that, that sort of that, that revenue you bought and you've tried to engage them, but they're just, they're not coming on board. They're not there. In other words, it's, it's legacy revenue. And my advice, and you kind of agree with it, is we need to write that off. We need to assume that in three years time, it's gone. And therefore we need to find a way of replacing that revenue with revenue from an engaged source. So we sat down and we went through the process I'm going to show you now. And essentially over the last nine months, we've actually been implementing uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Once we knew the numbers, sitting down with clients, re-explaining the process, re-engaging them, getting them onto this new way of servicing model, the one I'm going to show you now. And I'll share with you some of the results. I know James won't mind because I asked it. I'll just, just jump in. and I think just yeah. anyone that's listening that's got any grandfathered commission, and I'm sure there's a lot of um, firms out there that do have even a small percentage of grandfathered commission, which we know is most likely going to be turned off over the next 18 or so months. Um, I'd really focus on these types of strategies because these are going to become critical to implement in the very near future. So 116 clients in nine months. He's big, I'm going to do a webinar with him called the master of reviews because he's just got it down pat. Uh, in that time, I'll, I'll let you know, he had five people drop off. In other words, he lost $18,000 worth of revenue as a result of having this, I'm charging you this. And in mo most cases, by the way, the, the total 
uplift. We analyzed his book and we said, okay, this is the amount that you are essentially undercharging versus what your pricing model tells you uh, tells you you should do. His 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 deficit was about 115. His book was that that was going to drop off because it was legacy was 150. So we're trying to fill a $150,000 goal. During those discussions, five drop-offs. In other words, out of 116 clients, five of them dropped off. Most of them he wasn't that upset about. They're on the low end and there wasn't really a connection there. Of the ones he's done, there's 47 who are done, banked, put away. This doesn't include new advice revenue, by the way, which is additional. $35,000 uplift across the book. He's got nine that are currently in the process of moving across. They've said yes, that's 24,000. He's got 25, which are currently they're, 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 uh, they're discussing and, and essentially they're, they're working on now. And 38 left to do, which is the small end. And this doesn't, as I said, does not include new advice fees. So when we add it up over the course of nine months, he's taken a book which was underperforming by something like $120,000, $130,000 and he's transitioned. And the uplift to his business is $112,000. Now, why does that matter? Well, that matters because essentially he was delivering the services anyway. He was just, he hadn't priced it correctly. He hadn't had the right conversation. So he was discounting everything. So essentially this is the, by far the best growth story you can have because not only have you increased your revenue, you've done it without increasing any additional work there. You simply charged fair value for it right here and now. And the drop off now means we worked out the numbers. Essentially, he's now got around 2.2 hours a week back to work on other things as a result of it. You with me on that? I asked him what, what were the things that really set behind this. And he said, look, there's four principles he approached it. Number one is you just assume it's fine. Go in there with the client and say, this is how we're changing things. Uh, he said, the review is the time to do it. He talked about, he worked on with visual tools to make it happen. And he got really, really good at saying no. You know, there's questions like that seems expensive. His questions was, his answer was, you know, well, compared to what? Uh, when he had a client who pushed back, I want this. He said, look, I can't do it for that. I just can't. So I wanted to share that because um, I think it's a really positive case study. And this isn't just about how much can I charge? It's about recognizing that in many cases, and we'll talk about this in a sec, that, 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 that uh, gap in the revenue has been supported by, by, by these legacy client bases. And that's the challenge that we've got to overcome. Did you want to jump in and say anything, Michael? Oh, mate, I really like that. I think there's also something you can probably think about for, for the clients. So it sounds like he had a fair level of engagement with those clients, but, but however, was just undercharging. There's probably a, another angle as well for those that do have maybe a legacy book that, that potentially doesn't have much of a relationship with those clients. You might have met them a few years ago and maybe haven't been servicing as well as what you could have over the last few years. It's probably a similar sort of discussion, but it's, it's almost like you're reselling your proposition back to those clients. And I'm sure your business has evolved, your services have evolved, your values evolved. Um, and I think probably going through almost that identical exercise, but re-pitching your business back to those clients would be valuable for those grandfather type. Agree. And I, look, if anyone wants, I wrote an email template just yesterday for, for, for a business of mine who are a large business with a legacy client base. And it was an email template that said, you know what? You've got to come in. This is no, uh, there's no option here. If, if people are struggling with how to get the message out, I'm happy to sort of cover off on that and, and, uh, and yeah, share a bit of that. Because I think getting on the front foot with this and letting people know that things have changed, we've changed is, is a big part of it. It's interesting, but he had, um, he had a lot of clients who were really, really engaged and he had a lot of really high fee paying clients who they were engaged, but they weren't coming in. They were just like, you do it. And resetting that conversation was actually not just about getting their engagement, but also recognizing that people aren't involved in the process. It's harder to demonstrate value. And I'm sure Stewie's, well, he's got rid of a few unprofitable clients and he's retained the ones that he wants to keep. So he's more efficient and uh, certainly a lot more profitable. So winning at both ends. 
Absolutely. Rachel, I've spotted your question. I will come back to it. Uh, I guess I'm, look, there's a whole story to tell around it. It's essentially, but I think we've covered off on it, which is, you know, if you've got clients who've worked with you for a, a period of time or you brought on board at the beginning of your journey, but really, if you look at it under the bonnet, you realize that you should be charging a certain thing. It's a commercial decision that everybody needs to make at some point. And uh, it is that. So let's jump. Do you want to jump into how it works or how we made that transition? I just want you to tell everyone that that was actually your car back in the day. Okay. So the story goes that that was actually my car back in uh, about 2007. I was looking to buy a car and I walked into the classic soil shop in North Sydney and they had this for like, it was $14,000. It's a 1971 BMW 2800 CS. Uh, BMW didn't used to make large cars. They made small, tiny little cars and this was their first uh, version. And essentially I used to get it serviced by the, this old guy in the shop there, bring it in. He charged me the same amount. It was always the same. You just do the work. And then one time I brought it in and he said, look, I've got some bad news. I was like, what is it? And he said, well, they'd stopped making the parts. Like where? Like in Bavaria at the Bavaria Motor Company, BMW. And I said, what does that mean? He says, we're going to have to make them. I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, it's really expensive. Oh, I said, He's got some, I've got some bad news as well. I, I've actually been, you know, servicing it because I really like the car and I wanted to help you out. Half of the tools, I don't, they don't make, I don't have to stock them anymore. The guy, I'm the only guy who can, who can actually do the work. I'm going to have to start charging you more. At that point, I was like, well, first, thank you. But I realized that I had to make a call whether I wanted to maintain the car uh, and pay for, for it or alternatively find an alternative. And, and in the end, I realized that we, we ended up going traveling. I realized that I, would, I wouldn't be able to keep the car in the state I wanted to. So I ended up selling it to a guy who ended up being a, a, a head mechanic for a Brisbane uh, BMW dealer group who was also uh, a McLaren F1 um, mechanic and he took it apart, restored it. So it ended up pretty well. But the point is many businesses have got, they've got clients who are Archies. You know, they've had to put new things in their business, new technology, they're having it and they're still servicing in the same way because it, it feels okay. And now you're at a point where you, it just can't, it can't happen anymore. There you go. I told the story. <laughs> much better than one of my early cars which was a cream volvo 244 dl mate so i'm glad it's your car up there not mine and mate at least you're never going to die in a volvo are you no nah, never that was a brick okay any questions shoot them through but let's talk about how it works and the first step to amy your point uh you're not going to be able to do this if you're already under the pump and you've got stuff going on uh step one is you you've got to find a way to free up a bit of friction in in your uh in your work week. Now I know it's easier said than done, but there's a bunch of different things you can do, whether it's uh, eliminate certain things, get clients to do some of the heavy lifting, start putting structure in your week. I've got a, I've got a cheat sheet of 25 different sort of productivity tips, but I also want to point out sort of one key thing. Um, Michael Kitsis did a research piece recently and he studied, he wanted to find out how much time is spent by the typical financial advisor servicing clients. Uh, now this is America. So there's a little bit of a difference there, a different model, but as you can see, he, he broke it down pretty well, but that's not the interesting piece. The interesting piece is this bit underneath, uh, from the kids, the, st the statement, the rising use of more capable financial planning software doesn't appear to be generating time savings efficiencies. Instead, it's being used by advisors to go deeper with clients and do more in their financial plans. Now that's super dangerous because that's saying that no matter how much efficiency we throw at you, as advisors or businesses advisors, the temptation is going to be to do more work for the same kind of clients for the same money. You with me? Michael, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? 
Oh, look, it'd be interesting to know a little bit more behind that one, I reckon. Um, is it the fact that maybe those advisors weren't spending enough time with their clients and now that they've got the efficiencies, they can actually spend a little bit more time with them? Maybe. But then on the flip side, um, spending that extra time with them is obviously providing more value. You need to charge appropriately. So, Yeah. Uh, I, mean, this, I mean, I think a lot of it's, a lot of it's got to do with uh, financial planning. Is traditionally, a lot of people track revenue, but because it's not accounting, and I'm not suggesting you do, the knowledge of what's underneath in terms of the hours isn't tracked as, as heavily. So it's when you're coming from a top down approach, it's, you don't necessarily track that. And as a result, you know, if, if, if we did track six minute increments, I'm not suggesting we do, but when I've done pricing, people go, really, does it take me that long? Like straw poll. Michael, what's your experience? How long does it take most businesses in, in the network to bring on board a new client in hours, total hours? Uh, look, when we do most of the cost to serve calculations, it, it works out, I say, on about an average of about 14 hours um, for a new client. And then looking at some of the FPA material, uh, if you look at the you know, the, uh, the amount of work that goes over the, the first year, the first 12 months, it can be up to 21 and, and maybe even more depending on the, the nature of the relationship. So we all know that they're very time intensive processes, unfortunately. Um, it's kind of the nature of the beast at the moment. Um, hopefully some technology and some service or like system improvements can, can help in the future. But for now, it's a, it's a pretty laborious task. It's 10, 10 to 20 keeps coming out in all of my stuff. And I guess the thing is if, if we gave, uh, if we, we provi- if you provided a way of doing that in half the time, the point is, would you block out that time in advance to build your business or to reach out to clients? And the truth is that, you know, people being people, we tend to fill our, our diaries with either whatever is in front of us, alternatively what's comfortable. And that's what makes it a bit challenging. And I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. Should we do a bit of a straw poll? Uh, do me a favor, type in the text box. What's the thing that's stopping you from delivering the service experience that you'd like to? What is the thing that you don't have or you feel you need, which would enable you to spend more time or get on the front foot and, and basically get the service model exactly the way you'd like it? Because if, if something that comes up consistently, I can, I can probably help out a bit. By the way, just touching on it, right systems is interesting. Uh, any specifics about that would be great. What's the system missing? Uh, that's great, Sasha. By the way, time is not, uh, is not a wrong answer, but it's not the full answer. There's a little story I... I sort of t- put the roll out when people say, I don't have time. And it's like, um, imagine you've got, if you've got a kid, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, your kid comes running in, you're on the laptop doing some work and they go, Hey daddy, or Hey mommy, how about you? Would you come outside and, and play with me for a bit? And you go, uh, I can't, I don't have time. That's scenario one. Scenario two, same thing happens. Kid comes in 10 inch nail stuck through their foot. Michael, what do you do? Oh yeah. You help out obviously. Yeah. You help out. What's, so what's the difference between two scenarios? Oh, yeah, obviously you do have time. It's just not a priority. So I think it comes down to managing your priorities. Exactly. The truth is that you lied the first time. You should have told the kid that playing with them wasn't important to you right now. And that's the truth. Like if you, if you want to see if there's a time issue, it's actually there's other things that are, are taking up a priority. Uh, the right system. Compliance, Amy. It's, I love it. Again, the theory can be about what specifically is eating up your time. And if you don't know, then maybe the first thing is to do right. I've got to find out what's, what's taking up the most time. What is the thing that I'm doing every day, every day or every week and it's chewing up time? Oh, God, I'm a terrible mum too. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a terrible mum too. Getting the system right. Okay, that's perfect. Admin, says Ben. Great. Well, straight off the bat, what admin? Is there someone out there you can hand it off? Is there a way you use audio file noting instead of dry, too much back office work? Fantastic. Which back office work? What's the thing that's holding you back? Why, why can't you bring someone on board who can do some of it? Why can't you, you know what I mean? 
finding and recruiting and retaining quality support staff in order to delegate work. The A System for Hiring is a great book which talks about recruiting. Uh, and do you know what? I, look, I don't know what, what your take on it is, Michael, but I think what's happened over the last 15 years has given small businesses the power to access resources that they previously could never get access to. It's just sometimes that people don't get their head up and look outside of certain areas. What's your, what's your view on that, Michael? Yeah, well, mate, I think speaking before, you were talking about your new business manager that you've got on board. Um, I believe the remote. Um, He's on here right now. Remote staff, yeah, um, who does a tremendous job and he's, he's absolutely killing it. So I think the, the proof's in the pudding that if you, you do know where to look and you do spend the time to get the right person in your business, um, whether it's an offshore sort of system or whatnot, um, it does take work. Offshore is not just the, the magic bullet. You need to make sure you've got the right person, but yep. not only that, you've got the right systems in place so that they can step into the role effectively. Huge part of what I do in terms of helping people not just scope the role, but find the resource and more importantly, plan on plan how to make it work. And Jen would tell you, if, uh, she, we did a lot of work. She came on board and she actually... As part of that onboarding, she corrected a lot of our onboarding process because she's, she's very, very sort of experienced and, and incredibly senior. So she was able to kind of nudge me and say, no, 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 we don't do this and do that. But yeah, your first two weeks when you bring someone on board, bring in, knowing what to look for, but that first is hugely important. And if, uh, yeah. I think you I think, um, there was, there's a good podcast I listened to by the coach from the States, a guy called uh, Robin Sharma, and, and he calls his, he's got a little system for his hiring and he, he names it a thousand to one. So not quite that you've got to interview a thousand people to get the, the right person in your business, but making sure that you're interviewing the right number of people, but also spending a lot of time with that individual, not just having that first interview. Like the first interview I've heard it say is, is a meeting of two liars. You've got someone lying about how good this is and someone, your candidate lying about how good they are. So make sure you, you engage with them over a number of, um, a number of instances, get either your teammates or your staff to meet with them, have a meal with them, really get to know them and if they're going to yep. fit in with your business culturally. Um, yeah, slow to hire, quick to fire, I, I guess is the old saying. Yep. So let's, let's sort of pick up the pace. I've, just, I've noticed a bit of time and I want to make sure we can give as much value as possible. The second thing is I think uh, if you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books, you'll know that there were books where you had to read and then at the end you were given a choice and that would take, tell you, tell you, send you on a different story arc. Uh, I used to cheat, start at the back and, and sort of work my way. It's interesting, top right, I've only just noticed that in the workshop. Who writes a book for kids called You're Going to Die? It's kind of weird. But I think moving forward, it's really important that you choose what kind of model you want. Uh, Michael Kitsis, I think, said it beautifully when he said competitive fees combined with superior service isn't a differentiator, it's a charity. If you're going to deliver a premium fee service, you need to deliver a premium fee. So I think the two options that you can choose, and you can choose along the, uh, the line, you can either make a decision that you're going to build a service model to a certain price point, in which case it's going to be about what you remove and what you, you replace it with. And typically, if you want to build something at a lower price point, you need to remove yourself from the equation as much as possible. Um, whether that's by delegating to team members, self-service. Uh, if you're involved, being the most expensive resource in your business, it's going to bolster up the price. Or alternatively, you can have a look at what you're doing now and make a decision that that's the way you want to deliver your service and you price at that level. But you, can't, you can't have a price point that you know is not profitable because of the way you're delivering it and expect to sort of uh, endure. This is a, a, a tool from our program. But I mean, uh, some of the things you might ask yourself as a business is, you know, do I want to have a business where it's everything's me and the client or do I want to have a business where the team is stepping in? You might say, you know, I want the team to do some of the, more of the load. 
do you want to have a holistic business where you deal with everything, one-stop shop? Or do you want to have, I'm a specialist, I do this really, really well. Do you want to have deal with complex problems that have to be recreated every single time? Uh, or do you want problems that you've seen before uh, so you can kind of cycle through them quickly because you, you know what to look for? You might want repeatable. Do you want uh, a business where you do everything for the client or do you want one where they basically do the lifting? Cash flow, really important you make this call because if you're going to do, we'll do all the cash flow and the matching, you need to charge a significant fee for it. But if you can get clients to follow your system, potentially they can do some of the lifting. Do you want them to come to you or are you going to come to them? Are you going to focus on speedy turnaround? Or are you going to focus on, you know what? We might not put an advice document in front of you for six months because we're going to look at the detail. Do you want to deal with, you know, explain things in really simple terms? Or do you want to go heavy in the technical because that's what you love and that's what your clients love? Do you want to compete on price? Or do you want to just make sure your value proposition is strong? And do you want to lead with technology? They use your My Prosperity. Or do you want to lead with, if you need anything, give us a call. And that's the, that's the entry point for everything. But I think starting with that end in mind, uh, will mean that you are guided to the kind of service offer. And equally importantly, maybe you start to step into a place where you say to clients, this is how our service model works. And if that's what you value, then that, we're the best firm for you. Is that fair enough? The next thing I think is really important once you've done that, and the thing we did with James is, is you know, we've run the numbers every year without fail. We've got a tool called the uh, feemodel.com.au. I'm sure you guys have got a great cost to serve model, but ultimately it's just about going in and, and asking those questions about, you know, how many hours have I got available in the team? What's my hourly rates, which is really important moving forward. And then working out what am I on average? Where, where am I at in terms of the vanilla client, my add-ons and all that sort of stuff. And in particular, the one thing that uh, was really important is once we knew what the numbers were, we got, we got, a, we got a list of, of every single client, what they were paying over a previous 12 month period. And we went through and we went, okay, what's the new service package? Are we also doing uh, additional sort of portfolio reviews? Are we doing, uh, we managing self-managed super funds? And that spat out what we actually should be charging if the price model was correct. And as a result, we saw the gap. We could go through, add it up and go, the total uplift potential in your business is $150,000 or $100,000. And it gave us something to track. It gave us something to work towards. And most importantly, it gave us a target that we knew was a, was a benefit at the end of it. Did you want to say anything here, Michael? Oh, look, I think it's just something that we really encourage everyone to, to get on board with. We've got a, a fee modeling calculator. It's a sort of Excel spreadsheet version, but yep. why not jump onto Stu's and, and have a go and engage your ABC. It's, it's really critical, I think, that we do get our, our pricing right. Um, and also just to in, ensure that the services that we are offering, um, we are able to deliver on and we have the capacity yeah. to deliver on it and that they are adding value. So it's a really good session to have with your, your local business coach who can help you in that area as well which that, that leads really nicely into the next one, which is um, traditionally I've seen a lot of business, you would have seen it too, Michael, they, they, they padded their service offers. You know, the platinum got extra stuff. And, but in reality, when you broke it down, most of it was kind of the similar stuff. And in many cases, businesses kind of got themselves in trouble. This is, if anyone's familiar with this, this is Almas Caviar. If anyone's had, had it before, never met anybody who's had it yet. It is the world's most expensive caviar. It's $22,000 a, a tin. Uh, you only buy it from specific stores and it comes in this tin, which is literally gold-plated. Uh, hell of a gift. <laughs> I think you're giving it to anyone. The interesting thing I think about sort of this kind of stuff, luxury stuff, is how often it comes in small quantities. You know what I mean? It's like there is a point at which small or less actually adds value. And I think the challenge is when you are looking at a service offer, and, and most people's service offers will develop over the time, 
Our natural tendency is to add things, add things and not take them away. My challenge to everybody, and this is what we did with James, is, is actually say, no, no, let's, let's not add to it. Let's, let's focus on delivering less things to the clients, but focusing down on, on making sure they, they understand the value and where it fits. Now, this is a template which I think I really, I, I, I will share with each one of you. Uh, uh, because traditionally you go through into a service model, it's like activities. What activities are we going to do? And maybe if you've you got your head around it, you'd also have, you know, the additional services you do. But I think moving forward, there are kind of three things you need to put forward and price the clients. One is, I, I call it your base services. These are the things that you, I think uh, Michael Kitzes calls it shadow activity. These are the things you do for clients in the background and they're, they're, they're things that you have to do or you, as part of you know, providing advice, things like fee reporting, uh, you know, anti-money laundering, identification, mandatory advice documents, best interests and your reviews, product APL, system feeds, record keeping. And I think making these, I'm not suggesting that you, you necessarily have to put these in, in your list of things to do, but being clear about the fact that as part of being a client of ours, there are certain things we do in order to, to, to monitor and keep things up to date. And for you, that might, that fee might be a thousand bucks. So any client that comes on board, it starts at a thousand bucks. That's the point at which I can afford to take you on as a client. The next step up is your support package. You know, the, the stuff you agree to do. You know, you have, might have things that you, you agree to do a certain number of performance reviews with a client, a certain number of strategy reviews. You might agree to travel to see certain clients, which a lot of people don't charge for. Uh, advisor access. Uh, you might liaise with third party. This is the activity piece. And I think one of my bugbears is often with the FDS thing, we tend to focus just on the, the activity. And then there's the strategy stuff, the stuff that is additionally, you know, you might work with a client and you agree, we're going to look after your cash flow. We're going to look after self-managed super fund. We're going to look after protection. You with me so far? And then depending on the client, there'll be stuff that sits outside. You know what? We're not going to charge. We're not going to bundle this in because A, we don't want to, to artificially increase the price, but B, it's not in your best interest. But if any point in time, if you need new advice, on any of these things, if we don't have a sit-down review priced into it there, uh, we'll charge you if, if we both agree as a part of communication that we need one. And I think being able to look at it that way and go, you know, my base fee is 1000 This particular support uh, over the next 12 months is 2000 And by the way, we're looking after this and this, which is 5000 And if anything you need as part of, you know, our discussions and monitoring, one of these comes up, there's an additional fee for that. Michael, did you want to say anything? Yeah, I really like it. I've seen something quite uh, along these lines where you've got the, I guess, the areas of support and strategy where you'll charge a certain fee for, and the advisor tailors it to the specific client. They almost have three columns where, say, for cash flow reporting and coaching, they'll have a just the, the minimum fee, a simple advice fee, and a complex fee. So the minimum fee, if you're engaging in cash flow, might be 500 bucks a year. Um, simple advice might be a thousand and then complex might be 1500, whatever, whatever the numbers are, you work them out for each category. And that way you can provide a really bespoke pricing structure for every single client. Um, you do it with the client, you explain it to them and they really understand um, exactly how your fee is made up at the end of the day. So I think you get a lot of buy-in when you really go through a bit of detail on it as well. And similarly, there might be a point where you say, actually, yeah, and I'll talk about this in a second. I'm not comfortable working with you if we're not going to have a certain level of service. So you can direct it because this isn't just about what do you want? It's about, I'm your advisor. You're asking me to get the outcome and here's the, the support I'm recommending. And if you can genuinely say that it's in the client's best interest because of this reason, this reason, this reason, that's the point at which you can start to work with clients a certain way, if that makes sense. 
Hey, I've also seen work where, where an advisor will put it back on the client as well and say, if, if we're going to work together, I expect these things from you. So it might be every time we communicate with you, you have to respond, whether Absolutely. it's text, email, phone call. Um, if you're happy with what we do, you're going to refer another client or you'll we'll have a conversation about referring, whatever it might be, but you can have a set criteria of what you want from your clients. Um, they have to come in for the review, whatever it might be, um, where I think you're, you're laid on both sides. Good. Now we're going to run slightly over. I hope that's not going to uh, mess with anybody. I'll try, but I, I'd love to share this stuff rather than run through it. I'm trying not to be too far over. Um, I think number five is particularly with James. We, we said, let's get prepared. Let's make sure we can explain it. And I think moving forward, uh, it's really key. This, the, the story here is, um, if anyone's seen the Pink Panther movies, uh, Peter Sellers is Inspector Clouseau, and he hired, he's hired a guy, not very PC in today's environment, but he's, he's, he's Cato. And Cato is kind of his manservant, and he has been ordered to attack him at any point because he wants to basically uh, hone his skills. It's an, it's an amusing thing. So he, obviously he attacks him in the most inappropriate moments. The reason why I'm raising this is, I want you to be prepared as a business to answer questions about your service offer at any point, whether it's from a client, whether it's from, uh, you know, with not asset come knocking, because I think uh, it's key to be able to do it confidently. There's another great book I read called How to Find Out Anything from Anyone, Anytime. Great title. Written by an ex, uh, I think, CIA interrogator. And he said, if you, if most, most people who are, can't explain something or are lying, they will not survive three levels of questioning. Because his thought was most people kind of can't think it through to about two levels. But at a third level, when you, when you push lower, that's when they have to start to create stuff. So I think if you want to be confident about your offer, there's three questions you need to be able to ask, uh, uh, answer. What's in it? What are the things that you're delivering to clients year and year? And this comes to your point, Michael, about don't start promising stuff if, you, if it's, you know, it's going to be a, a stretch to do it. If it's going to you know, push you into uh, overwhelm, focus yeah. on... The value of things. Or if it's not relevant, I guess, as well. Yeah. Second question is, why are you recommending this for this particular client? Why is that in their best interest rather than this? And that's a really key moving forward. And the third thing is kind of how did you work out the fee? Now, you may not have to pull out your service pricing model, but the ability to go, well, I'll explain exactly how I worked out the fee, I think is really useful. But the key thing, I think, is uh, I'll run through some of the templates relatively quickly. It's not, it can't just be about the alley rate. It's got to be about the value. And uh, a lot of the work we did at the last accelerator was about, you know, things like understanding that price is what's in the price, what's on the tag. Cost, that's a different thing. In a client's mind, cost is about uh, potentially the amount they'll pay, but also the, the, the piece they'll lose. And for me, the big thing to focus on is value is what you could get as a result of that investment. And equally, you know, you could argue that cost is what you lose out because you don't actually invest in that. I might share one quick model around this, if, if, I, if, if I may, because I reckon this would be useful. Uh, this is a model called the four possibilities. Now imagine you're sitting down with me as a client. Here I am. And at some point in time, we turn around and we have a conversation about sort of what kind of retirement I want. And it kind of looks a bit like that. I'm really energized by it. And then why did I do a face like that? Anyway, and then we sort of, you have a conversation say, so that's the outcome where, you have a good lifestyle and money runs out by about the age of, what, 90? And you go, well, what about if we could have an outcome where the money never ran out? Would that be good? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And then we have a final conversation, which is about, this is where you're on track for if you keep doing what you're doing. Uh, by the way, here's what happens if you're uninsured or unprotected and other stuff happens. So let's, let's say this number is two mil at retirement. This number is three mil 
and this number is a million bucks of retirement. Michael, which, which version would you like me to create a financial plan for you on? Uh, pretty sure the three million. Uh, okay, so we're gonna go for three mil. I like it. So what's the scale of, let's say this is 20 years. What's the gap we need to build? What's the scale of the problem we're trying to solve for the client? We've got a $1 million gap. It's two million. It's oh, sorry, I thought we were going from the two to the three. We're going for the, what's gonna happen if you just keep doing what you're doing right now, and we're gonna go for that ideal outcome. So, we've got a $2 million gap. There's two parts here. What's the value that you're gonna add? One, to start with, is by helping them you know, act. In other words, sorry, helping them define what they want. All journeys, what's going on here, start, with actually making a decision that this is what I'm gonna go for. That makes sense? Why is this? The second really important part that I think, what's going on with that? Okay, is most people sort of underestimate is you've noticed that these lines diverge over time, right? So if I wait 10 years, I come back and I go, oh, I'll do it in 10 years time, what do you notice? Suddenly the, the change or the, 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 the volume of the return or the, change or the outcome, it suddenly makes it much, much harder. So the second value of advice is getting people to act now. Does that make sense? But I guess in the value piece, let's talk about that. I, as a general rule, I think every advisor should be adding five times value over their fees as a minimum. I think the goal for me is 10. And if you can do 20 times, you're in a, a great space there, right? So if you want to add five times your fees, this is where we've got to do the mathematics. Well, let's, let's, let's argue that you charge 5,000 per year on average. What are we at? We're 100,000 over 20 years. Is that about right? So in order for you to add five times value over 100,000, what's the, what's the value you've got to add to that client over 20 years? 500 grand. Plus the $100,000 in fees. So it's 600K. How are we doing so far? Pretty good. It's 2 million, right? 10 times, 1 mil plus 100K. We're over, five we're over 10 times. What about if we want to do 20 times? That's at 2 mil. So in other words, in this scenario, the value of your advice is around about, what, 18, 19 times through the application of cash flow strategies, uh, uh, you know, investment strategies. In other words, all the things you're gonna do and to help them get the result. Is that helpful? Uh, there's a few other models around this, such as talking about the way that people perceive progress, as well as you know, the benefit of, uh, of sort of working with people and definitely one about how to sort of get agreement with clients on what's important happy to talk more about those. But I guess my point is, is that once you know the number, once you know how to have that conversation, the second part is get, getting really clear on how to sit in front of clients at review and just, uh, and just talk about the value of it. I think the other thing to bear in mind, and this is really key, which is people are generally more motivated by loss than they are gain. So if you're having a retention conversation with a client, sometimes the best thing you can do is actually ask them, well, if you, if I don't look after this for you, tell me what you're gonna do to look after yourself. Because when they realize they're losing access to something, that actually makes it a more difficult decision. You with me? Cool. Uh, the number, or the next one I think that we, we, we got really clear with James is, is so he knew his why. And I'll, I'll go quickly on this. This is a template again from the program. Uh, it helps people explain their ongoing service model. And you'll notice at the top, it talks about the four criteria which define how you work with clients. Generally, in my view, I think there's four reasons you'd look at that would help you define whether a client needs to work with you closely on an ongoing basis, or potentially you can sort of work in more of a DIY arm's length, you know, keep them accountable, but not necessarily do the work. The first is how complex is the advice? You don't want to be giving advice to someone who just can't do it because they're not going to be able to get their head around it. Even if they say, I've got it, you might want to turn around and have a conversation about, there's a lot of complexity here. Tell me how you're going to manage it. 
commitment. Do they actually have time? I guess if it takes you an hour every month to look after my affairs, it's going to take me four or five. So you better maybe have a conversation with me about if, you, if you're going to look after this, tell me about the time commitment. Do they actually want to do it? People generally don't look after things if it doesn't motivate them. And finally, is there a record of making mistakes in the past? Did they buy Bitcoin at the heights or bought a bunch of trees? And I think if you can have conversations with the clients about here's why I think over the next 12 months, we should work together in this way and then we can review it again. It's going to be a much stronger proposition. Do me a favor while I've got you here. What do you think in your business is the strongest reason for working with clients the way that you do? Is it because the way that the advice you give is complex? Is it because uh, you tend to find that your clients are time poor and they won't do it on their own? Is it the fact that the people you work with don't really love this stuff? Or is it that uh, you tend to speak to people once they've already made errors and you want to make sure they don't make errors again? I think the final piece is um, really for me, at some point in this journey, James and I, had a conversation and we just said, dude, we've, we've just got to make the call. We have to jump in and we just have to put it on the table and have a commercial reality. And the, rea the, the reason for this is um, most of the people who've done a bit of work on their pricing model will, will know that most people's revenue looks a bit like this. You've got a client up here who pays you a fair amount and you might have a client down here who pays you a little bit. And if you've done your pricing, you'll know that maybe your cost of service that and sorry, your, uh, your, your average fee you need to charge is that and your, your actual break even is that. So what we tend to find is there's a big portion of your client base who are well below your break even. And in, that, in addition, there's a, there's a portion in here who are not quite paying enough to be fully profitable. Now, traditionally, it's kind of been okay because this bit over here has kind of supported it. But uh, from my understanding of what's coming along with fair value is the danger is if that gets lopped off, or you have to get in, it's in your client's best interest to say for the next 12 months, we're going to work together in a different way. Potentially you've got a real issue. And ultimately what it gets down to is the conversation. If you're having with a client, if you can take some of the, the personal out of it and just realize that it is a commercial uh, decision and it is a commercial choice the client has to make and that you're probably doing a lot more for clients than you were 12 months ago. It puts you in a place to, uh, yeah, to approach it with a far more confidence. Do you want to add anything to that? Michael? Oh, look, I think you know it. Obviously, there's going to be a fair bit of work over the next little while around the fair value of advice and it's certainly something that ASIC and the code monitoring bodies are going to be looking at quite heavily. So that's something that we need to look at. Um, I think if you've got your pricing structure down pat with utilising tools like this and a matrix um, with the various strategies and the, the cost per strategy, you're going to be fine. I think it's some of those high-end ones where if you're charging a percentage-based fee on a very large balance, um, if you're not providing over and above service for those types of clients, um, they, they're the sorts of ones you might start to get in a little bit of trouble for. So yeah, that's what I agree. I hope this has been useful. Uh, I'm apologize for being over time, so I'm going to speed it along. Um, do me a favor. Just, if this has been useful, can you type in the box and just let me know what's, what's the thing we've spoken about that, that kind of has been most useful to you personally? I'd love to know what's sort of hit home. Uh, Michael, is there anything for you personally that, you know, you thought was relevant to, to the businesses you've got? Uh, mate, I quite like that diagram uh, or that page you had around it where you had the, the, almost like the spectrum. You had about 10 different areas around what you want your business to look like and your advice around the simple to the complex and whatnot. I think getting really clear on, on what your value proposition is, that'd be a really uh, integral part of that, um, that bit of planning uh, to really be clear on what you want to, what you want to provide for your clients and what you can, how you can best serve your clients and 
that's then going to flow into attracting more of the right type of client, I think. That's good, man. Uh, Angelo, thank one, you. One amongst many. Thanks, man. Uh, Angelo says the need to redesign the service proposition. Raphael says visuals around the value of advice. Yeah. Uh, Carl Richards is another great one who does this. Uh, Kareen, cl- cl- clarifying what I'm doing and why. Uh, and Rachel says the scattering of the scope, the base support strategy and projects. Alison, how you price the value proposition with base support plus added value over 20 years, visuals to show client. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Look, uh, Ben says to need to design my service package and charge accordingly. However, if you want to talk about how to implement this and Michael, feel free to add anything. I, I would approach you by this. Step one, I would, I would step in, grab sort of access to, the, to, to Michael's team and, and just kind of work out what, what are you, what's your model supposed to look like? Why do you want to work with clients a certain way? What are you going to deliver and how's it going to work? Then once you've got that as a basic, go in and confirm your pricing and tweak it. You know, either design a package to suit a price point or, you know, work out what's in and what isn't. Then go through and, and really do that, that fee analysis. Analyze the tail, understand what your gap is. Then just make a call. What are you going to do? Are you going to change your service offer or are you going to, are you going to get on the front foot? Uh, if you're going to get on the front foot and make the call, then get confident. Explain the story, use the tools, engage people on the basis of the fact that there's a commercial reality and you want to work with clients in a certain way because it's, it's a win-win. They're going to get benefit out of it. You're going to get benefit out of it. And then I think track progress. Uh, if you've got a sheet, just track what goes well. Always ask that question about, you know, I just had a conversation with a client. What did I do well? What can I improve next time? And share openly the wins because I think uh, the more you share what, what's working, it tends to get this sort of positive reinforcement thing, if that makes sense. Fair enough, Michael. Is there anything I missed out? No, mate, I, I love it. I think it's just, as with anything, it's, it comes down to the implementation and, and the commitment to actually get involved with this process. So let's just make sure that everyone's allocating the right amount of time if you think this is valuable um, into spending that time on your business rather than just in your business. And it depends on how you want to do it. But the good one that I heard a little while ago from that uh, coach, Robin Sharma, was he has the, the 9091 uh, principle where I know you're a fan of the 90 day sprint, Stu, but. Um, He's a big fan that if you've got a big particular goal or project that you're working on within your business, uh, spend the first 90 minutes uh, of the next 90 days on that one goal uh, and that one project. And that way, you know, eliminate all distractions, do it before your business opens and the calls and emails start coming through um, and you'll be able to really crunch out some, some solid projects. It's good. Yeah. I find that any day I start by opening the inbox and then don't get the first thing done ends up being one of those days where, you, you end up at the end of it going, where, where did the time go? Yeah. Hey, um, it does happen a lot. Um, man, look, thanks very much for sort of letting me do this. I think we mentioned that uh, I wanted to share a bit about sort of how I work. And uh, I mentioned in the beginning that if you, if you would like to get more assistance with this, um, I'm, I'm going to share that. So would you mind if I, if I sort of outlined a bit about that, Michael? No, definitely. This is something we spoke about. And I think, um, as we've said, we've got a few advisors that are engaged with your program, getting tremendous value out of it. And I know you've, you're evolving your offer as well. So this is, yeah, it's a, it's a good offer um, and a very generous offer that you've put forward for our advisors who are attending this webinar. So okay. I think, think what we agreed was that uh, not everyone will be getting this, but you have to attend the webinars to, uh, to get it. So, so like if, if, you've, if you've heard enough and you've got to go, that's cool. But if you'd like to sort of stay on, I'm just going to outline sort of a little bit about how I work and what I do. Um, so I've, I've been running a program called the Leverage Advice Firm for like the past four years. And essentially, uh, you know, it has a few facets. It's got, uh, been running training sessions, developing training templates. We have live events and a whole bunch more. 
It works across three kind of ways. We've got uh, three ways that we sort of deliver the program. And it kind of goes from self-directed learning down at this end, and very specific, to sort of full coaching program at that end. Uh, the Leverage Advice Firm we've been running for a while. I know there's a few people on this who have been part of the program. Uh, and it's a full coaching program, live events, working directly with me. Unlimited is kind of a version of it which is specifically designed for online. So essentially, it's, it's access to most of the content, access to live training, uh, but without necessarily some of the, uh, the coaching components. And then at the other end, we've got something called Journey to Scale, which is for businesses that specifically want to focus on something uh, or that something at that point in time in their business uh, uh, growth. It works a bit like this. Uh, Unlimited essentially is full 365-day access to every module on the program, which is running at about 80-plus modules. Topics covering, as you can see, everything from automation, client experience. Everything we've spoken about today is part of the program. Uh, everything supported by tools, templates, worksheets, as well as we also give people access to things like our, our implementation system, uh, and you get a live invite to all of our monthly training. I'll give you a couple of examples of uh, modules that I've just pulled out. One of the things I'm going to talk about in two weeks is client engagement. Uh, and we run, I've run a whole training session on this at the two accelerators ago. But I think what makes, you know, what I've always been really passionate about is giving people not just the training, but example, you know, here's a template where you can grab and run with. So this, for example, is, a, is an engagement map. Whereas we talk about if you've got 26 touch points that you've got to live a fortnightly touch point, what would it be made up of? Uh, to that end, we even sort of jumped in and give people, uh, give people examples. This is an email template you grab and send out called the let us know list. 16 reasons that you should jump on the phone and let us know things have changed. Really important for reviews coming forward. Check in email templates. Uh, what we call fundamentals, which is emails that you just send out every quarter reminding people of what they need to know about working with you. We talk a lot about attribution uh, blogs and even we give people the structure on how to scope out and, and dictate a blog uh, and you know, templates around how to schedule it all. Uh, the sustainable service model that we've just run through, you know, as well as all of the templates we showed you, you know, we give people scripting, how to talk about service with new clients uh, over the three stages, including you know, the structure of it. We give people how to talk about uh, it to engage clients scripting around disengaged clients and a whole bunch more. That's the unlimited program. The journey to scale kind of breaks it down. So um, this model you can see on the website is it's called the journey to scale. And it, it unpacks the idea that in order for you to progress a business to a point where you get scale, there's generally six phases you go through. You know, you go through generate revenue, then switch to profit, then build your systems, add your team, add your leadership team, then automate and then you get to the sort of franchise in disguise. But, disguise. but as you can see, the things that you want to be focusing on to sort of speed up that growth curve, they differ at different stages. So you don't want to be building a bunch of systems if what you really need to do is get out and market. You probably don't want to uh, be adding lots, you know, your A, a team into the business if you don't really know what your service model is so far. And sometimes businesses look at this, they're progressed along the journey, but they go, you know what, I need to go back and sort of fill in uh, the blanks. So as you can see, it's broken down into various different modules at different stages. Uh, each of the modules, if you buy one, you get 180-day membership, all fully guided training, tools, templates, the same kind of thing, as well as live invite to our monthly sessions. Anything else you wanted to add?
Mate, that, that's terrific. So, oh, look, from me, um, I just would like to thank you for taking the time out of your day and presenting a, a fantastic webinar to our group. Thanks for everyone for attending. Um, I think as, as well as we obviously know that Stu adds a tremendous amount of value. If you want to speak to Tim Henry, one of our guys, um, he's always open for a chat. He's currently in Stu's course, so have a chat to him about the value he's receiving. Um, he'll give you some, some good, honest feedback. Um, Certainly, if you're interested in, in those modules, jump online, have a look, and I think a 30% discount is, is extremely generous. So, mate, thanks very much for that, and we look forward no to problem. another session in a couple of weeks. There's just a couple of Affinia resources, too, that you should probably have a quick look at. Um, jump on the website. We've got that CVP one-pager, um, as well as, I think, when we talked about how to articulate the value in an enduring basis, look at the goals matrix that we've got uh, online, as well as the strategy matrix. So, that will put a bit of the advice technical strategy, I think, on top of uh, some of the some of the content that we've run through today. So Beautiful. certainly encourage you to jump on and, and have a look at that. But um, if you need anything else, contact me, contact Stu or contact your ABC. More than happy to come out and we can work through all the great stuff that we've run through today. So thanks again for your time. And uh, yeah, I just got a question from Alison. If you want to check out the website, it's aldere.com.au. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there about what the program is. If you click on the store, That'll take you through to uh, the section where all the different things are. So hopefully that's helpful. Mate, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, mate, off to the football tonight, actually, down at Marble Stadium, which was the old Etihad Stadium. Watch the Hawks and the Bombers. Neither are my team. So um, I can actually enjoy the footy and not suffer in, in uh, watching the Demons get pumped again. So <laughs> oh, that's going to kick off and then, yeah, pretty crazy after that. Oh, man, enjoy. And uh, thanks again for the opportunity. And look, I, I'll, I'll see you again in two weeks' time so we can do the round two. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much. And everyone have a good weekend. See you, guys. Take care. So there you go. A really wide-ranging conversation around service offers between me and Michael. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Finnovator. I'm going to keep this one short. Uh, I was going to ask you if you can do me one or two things. The first is kind of the bigger of the favors. Uh, if you know somebody who you think would make an excellent guest or it's you're listening to this and you think, you know what, I've got a story to tell. I've got insight to share. There's a piece of the way that I've done growing my business or the expertise I have which I'd like to share. Please drop me an email. I'd love to chat a bit about what you do and uh, potentially run one of these with you. Uh, the second is the smaller one. Um, I am reliably informed by Kieran. Uh, who is our absolute guru when it comes to doing this uh, podcast uh, stuff, uh, that one of the most important things uh, for getting the word out there is reviews. If you have a moment and you're willing to head over to uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, or if you don't use Apple Podcasts, whichever your podcast platform is, give us a rating, uh, ideally five stars, but if it's four, if it's not, I won't. I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And look, if you could take some time to leave a, a written review, that's the ones that really have uh, punch with people and help us to sort of spread the word. So if you do have a moment, feel free to head over and I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, that's it for me. I will see you uh, in the next episode of The Finnovator. But in the meantime, stay safe and have a great week.